For our scripture reading, we turn to the book of James. We read chapter 1. James chapter 1, begin at verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think, that he shall receive anything of the Lord. The double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. But the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low, because as the flower of the grass, he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he's tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say, when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift. And every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, de deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, 
He is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continue therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. So far we read from the Holy Scriptures, and the text that we consider tonight is verse 25. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Dearly beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, in this occasion of the joyful event of the confession of faith of a number of our, of our young adults, we consider a passage that speaks of us, the importance of us continuing throughout our life looking into the word. And when it makes a reference to the, the law of liberty, it's referring to the word of God. And the fact that we look into it and keep looking into it, desiring to continue to learn and desiring to do what the Word tells us that the Lord would have us do. That there's a danger. There's a danger of forgetting passage speaks of those who forget the word. It says, being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. This passage, this passage brings up a number of points. First of all, with the whole subject of freedom, What does it mean to be free? What, do our, what would our enemies try to convince us it means to be free? Their spiritual foes would like to convince us that we should each one of us go our own way. Decide for yourself what you think is good for you. Don't let anyone else tell you what you should do. You decide on your own. Well, God tells us what to do. He teaches us the truth of the word of God. He teaches us the doctrines that we are to believe, that we're to adhere to. And you made a confession tonight that by God's grace, you're resolved to adhere to the doctrine. That is of fundamental importance. 
for many would tell us it really doesn't make that much difference what doctrines you hold to. We spent a lot of time, and you've spent a lot of time learning doctrine. You've memorized passages of scripture. You studied, learned how to answer various questions. You learned about various errors. You spent time doing that. And God has been the one that has been guiding you and teaching you. There's great importance in us holding to that truth. As is evident from the fact that when we make confession of faith, we say, we're, we're determined, we're resolved to do that. Then also in our life, to show our, that our, thankful, our thankfulness to our God. That we're not just ones that come and, and we hear what is said, and then we forget about it. And we just do our own thing, which our enemies would have us do. But rather that we keep looking at the word, we consider what the word is telling us, we're conscious of the fact that God is teaching us, we cling to that truth, and in our life, strive to glorify our God out of thankfulness for our salvation. Chose this passage with a number of things in mind. One of them is this idea of freedom. Because when one looks at this, at what God calls us to do, many would look at that and you're, you're bound. And all these rules. God tells us about liberty. Who are the ones who are free? Who are the ones that are in bondage? Why would the word be referred to as the law of liberty, freedom? Secondly, it brings out to us the constant need to go to God for instruction. Because this passage that talks about us looking into the word carries with it the idea that we are constantly seeing our need to look here for instruction throughout our life, looking to God to guide us in all the problems that we face, receiving the word with gladness. And thirdly, that this passage speaks about those who have joy. Many think that if you, you, you do your own thing, then you're going to be happy. You just decide for yourself what's going to make you happy. I'm going to do this because I'll be happy if I do. Is that true? Is it true that if we depart from God and what he tells us, we will be happy? You're familiar with the fact that when, the word, when we read of the word blessed, one who is blessed has joy. Only those who are blessed have real joy. And God says, the man who does the work that his Lord calls him to do, this man is blessed in his deed. This man has joy in his heart. This is the one that joyfully labors. We bring that out too when we 
in our confessions, we confess that when we talk about what conversion is. And we say, with love and delight, living according to the will of God. Now, it's not only reading that on the, uh, in the confession there that it says that, but it's conscious of the fact that that is true. And to confess that from the heart with love and delight. I love my God. That I love him. I am thankful for my salvation. I want to please him. I want to do what's to his glory. I don't do it thinking that I'm fulfilling a condition. I'm doing it thinking that I want to thank my God, whom I love, and who I'm so thankful to serve. And we consider that in, in the third place. We look at this passage under the theme, looking into the law of liberty. We consider, first of all, the freedom. First of all, we look at the the principle that's being taught here about freedom. Secondly, we look at it from the viewpoint of this looking into and the term that's used here for looking into the law of liberty. And then lastly, from the viewpoint of the, of the joy, looking into the law of liberty, the freedom, the looking and the joy. The phrase, the law of liberty, is referring to the word of God. What's called the perfect law of liberty. The, con the context brings that out. It brings out in a number of places. It's talking about the word. Verse 22 speaks about being a doer of the word. Uh, and we're told to receive with meekness the engrafted word uh, that's able to save the soul. So that we see in the very, in the very context, uh, in verse 18 also, of his own will begat he us with the word of truth. So we read of the word of God in a number of places. Verse 18 the word of truth, that we read the implanted, the engrafted word in 21, and then doers of the word in, 20, in 22. So the context is talking about being doers of the word. And looking, standing back a little bit, little bit and looking at the context of what's the idea, you can see what he's addressing is that there are many that will come every Sunday, they'll hear the word taught, they know what they're supposed to do, but they quickly forget and just do what, what they want to do. You say, well, yeah, I know what I'm supposed to do, but you know, we're all sinners. And it's easy, you know, you can see how people start to, once they start doing that, and they do that on a regular basis, oh, they look at it externally gather for worship. I'm there when I'm supposed to be worshiping. And yet what's going on in their life, they're not really doing the word. They're there. They hear it in a sense. But then they don't go forth and, and, and do it. And that's so the word law, the phrase perfect law of liberty is talking about the word of God that we're to receive. 
Now, I want to look at it, first of all, from the viewpoint that that word goes into our heart, and when the word goes into your heart, you're set free. Looking at it, first of all, from the viewpoint of, in the narrow sense, in the sense of regeneration. Each of us, by nature, is, is dead. And what God does in regeneration, and as you know well, and you've confessed that, when God regenerates you, he gives you a new heart. What he does is he writes his law in your heart. And when God puts his word in your heart, you are freed. You're freed from bondage. In Jeremiah 31, God spoke about the new covenant that he would make. And he said he would write the law in the heart. And the distinction is between the law written on tables of stone... Instead of having a law just simply on tables of stone, he writes it inside us. And when one has the word inside him, his will is freed. And a will that is no longer in bondage to sin is a will that's that's freed. And we confess that. I want to look at one place, just one place tonight in our confession that brings up this idea of freedom. In Article 16 of the third and fourth head of the Canons of Dort. That's kind of a lengthy article. But picking it up around the middle of the article, Article 16, the third and fourth head, that is speaking of what God does within his elect people. And I start with these words about in the middle. That where carnal rebellion and resistance formerly prevailed, a ready and sincere spiritual obedience begins to reign. We have a small beginning of the new obedience. And we read that this sincere spiritual obedience begins to reign. In which the true and spiritual restoration and freedom of our will consist. It's the idea of a free will. This is a place in our confessions that really clearly lays that out. What does it mean that your will is free? A will that's free is a will where obedience begins to reign. That's a totally different view of freedom than the view of freedom that the world has. One wants to think of freedom as being able to just vile, not have to do what God says. We say... When both obedience begins to reign, the true and spiritual restoration and freedom of the will consists of that. 
When God writes his word in our heart, he infuses new qualities into our will. He quickens us. And that spiritual obedience begins to reign. We still have a depraved nature. Does that mean our, our nature's improved? No. We still have a sinful nature against which we must constantly battle so that we've got this. We have this new heart. We, have, we really do have a new heart. that's alive and we also have his, we also have a sinful nature against which we have to battle but we bring that out from the viewpoint that the word the law is written in our heart and we're set free the law of liberty now that's looking at it from the viewpoint in the narrow sense of what God does when he regenerates us but this passage is looking at it also from the viewpoint of us consciously receiving the word we who have been regenerated this passage is addressing us and telling us that we must be quick to hear the word as it constantly comes to us so on the one hand we have it in our heart but we also have it constantly taught to us and we need to we're called consciously to receive it to embrace it with a believing heart. A word that sets forth the doctrines we're to hold to. And a word that also speaks of our calling. Warns of the ways of wickedness. Calls us, tells us to, tells us to turn away from sin tells us in detail too the things we're to do and what we're not to do we're to hear the word and to be doers of the word and one who is hearing the word and doing the word sin is not reigning over them that he have freedom we're told, let not sin reign. Even though it's true that we've been regenerated, we understand we've got this ongoing battle still. And God says to us, let not sin reign. You've been delivered, you've been set free. You still have a sinful nature. You've got spiritual enemies coming against you. Look to God for the strength, fight, resist. You hear the word, hear it. Embrace that. Look to God for the grace to do that. Freedom is we are free to do what we ought to do. Not just free, not free, it's not free to do whatever I want in the sense of to violate what, get, go against what God says, but free to do what I should do. And in the sense of looking at it from the viewpoint of our new heart, it is freedom to do what I desire to do. We say, I delight in the law of God after the inward man. In my heart, I delight to do this. I want to. It grieves me that I don't. 
The good that I would, I don't do. And that, and that grieves me. I love the law. My meditation night and day, that we sing that. We sing that together. When we look at the law from the viewpoint of just the Ten Commandments, well, we talk about in, the, in our confessions, we bring out that if you just look at the law from the viewpoint of the Ten Commandments, well, it doesn't point out a remedy. Look at the Ten Commandments, say, as they're written on tables of stone. It tells us what we're to do, speaks of the judgment upon those that don't, but it doesn't point out a remedy and it doesn't impart strength. And the sinner is, is cursed, and he's in bondage, and he has fear of the punishment of God. God writes his word in our heart and sets us free in principle. And our fathers often use that word, you know, in principle, we have the beginning. And then we need, we, we need an ongoing, we're an ongoing need of deliverance. So in principle, we have the beginning of the new life, yet we conscious of the fact that we are in need of ongoing deliverance. That's why we keep praying for it. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We have freedom in Christ. Christ fulfilled the law. He has redeemed us from the curse of the law. He delivers us from the dominion of sin. He quickens us. He delivers us from sin's dominion. Christ is the one that's directing us. When we consider who's telling us what to do, well, it's Christ who's directing us, our head. He shows us our sin. And we grow more to see our own sin. Our whole life, we're conscious of the fact that our God is continuing to show us our sin. Even when we're elderly, can hardly move our whole life he's showing us our sin and then we go to Christ we keep going to God for forgiveness he keeps showing us our need for strength to do what he's telling us to do he sets forth an example for us. He not only tells us what to do, but he shows us in his, his example. And we are to look to him for the grace that we need. The freedom that's spoken of here is the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. The freedom to do 
what God calls us to do and what in Christ we desire to do, freedom from the bondage of sin. Now this passage talks to us about a looking into. Looking into the law of liberty. The idea of the forgetful hearers. When it says here, not hearers, forgetful hearers. Now look at this first from, I'm going to set up contrast here. First, I'm going to, in this section now of the looking into, I'm going to look at the, the opposite of that, the opposite of looking into the law of liberty. And then from a positive point of view, what it means that we look into the law of liberty and we continue. So first, the negative, looking at it from the viewpoint of the forgetful hearer, or literally a hearer of forgetfulness. That obviously he hears and he doesn't do it. Then there's an illustration. Somebody like looking in a mirror. You just for a brief moment look in a mirror. Back in this day, you know, that may have been like polished metal of some sort that was being used as a mirror, whatever it was, that you look in a mirror and... You see the reflection, you see yourself, you're thinking for just that moment, you're thinking about, you know, how you look or whatever, and then move on and you don't think about it anymore. You saw what you looked like for that moment and you don't, you don't keep thinking about it. And it says that there are those that when they come to hear the word, they're like that. That for a moment they hear and they see what the word tells them about what they're like. And they see it. They're aware of it. But then, you know, then the service is over. And then, and then they go out and they, they don't think about it anymore. They may hear that something that they're doing, they really shouldn't do and they may be aware of, they were aware of it before but it, it is impressed upon them as they hear it specifically spoken of and yet afterwards they go they go right back to it they're there you know they're there when it's talked about but they don't do There are those, of course, that want to get rid of the law of God. We start listening to spiritual enemies. We start to go. We start to go in the wrong direction. What do our spiritual enemies tell us? When we go back to the Garden of Eden. Already there, you see the idea of the devil trying to convince us that we should decide for ourselves what's 
good to do and what's not. Just decide it on your own. That's, that's being yourself. Don't let anybody else tell you what you're supposed to do, what you're supposed to believe. You decide. And then also the idea that there, you know, there's not going to be any punishment either. You're not going to die. You're going to be better off if you decide on your own what you should do and what you should not. And those that start to listen to that. And they start going in that direction. And sometimes they'll find professing Christians who will tell them that what they're doing is okay, even though they know it's not. Here's somebody that says he believes in Christ. He says it's okay. He says it's not sinful. And so when they're with them, they may like to be with those people. But they really know, even though they may have many telling them, oh yeah, you know, church where you go, They're telling you that that's a sin. But here, we don't say that. And we're Christians. And they want to believe, and they want to, that's what they want to think. And yet they know, even though they're professing Christians telling them that it's okay, they know that the Bible says that it's wrong. And there may be some people that say, well, you're, you know, this is what my church tells me. This is what my parents tell me. This is what the elders are telling me. Why do I have to do what the elders say? Why do I have to decide, to, why do I have to agree with, you know, what our church says? Why do I have to agree with what my mom and dad say? And we repeatedly bring out we're not bringing you something that we've come up on our own. We're just bringing you the word of God. This is what God says. And it's clear. And we're to hold it. And it's very easy to see the different, all the variety of the sexual sins prevalent today. It's easy to see that they're sinful, that God speaks against them. It's easy to prove that. All the divorce and remarriage may say it's okay. It's very easy to prove that it's not. It's all sorts of things that are are done. That are clearly against what Scripture teaches us. Yet many would say, you know, you need to break free from all those rules. You need to be free. One going their own way is sinning. The scriptures use that idea, use that phrase to refer to sinning, going one's own way. All we like sheep have gone astray. We're quite familiar with this verse. We have turned everyone to his own way. 
And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Well, you know where that is. It's Isaiah 53. We've turned everyone to his own way. I'm going my way. I'm going to do it my way. That's language that the scripture used about sinning. Going away from, turning away from God and doing our own thing. And the one who, is in, who sins and continues on in it is in bondage. He's not free. And for the believer, if somebody really is regenerated, what they are for a time is they're letting sin reign. You can't lose your salvation. Well, we know the Bible gives examples of those that though they were regenerated for a time, walked in the ways of sin. And we're warned against that. And yet our enemies will demand of us, they'll tell us, you must obey us. You must do what we say. And they'll get us to think that we can't help it, we can't stop. And what we are to do is to turn to God. Keep looking into the law of liberty. Now that term, looking into, has the idea of stooping down to look into something. And you wonder, now why would it use a term like that? One idea, certainly if you think if you're going to stoop down, you are really trying to see something. There's something you're looking at, you're trying to see, and you're stooping down to look into it. And that's the term that's used. The term appears elsewhere when Mary Magdalene, John, and Peter came to the tomb where Jesus was. They stooped down to look. And you think of how attentively they were looking at that tomb, at the empty tomb. And as they saw the grave clothes lying there and how they were looking at those clothes. When we read in 1 Peter 1 about things that the angels desire to look into, angels desire to look into, the term appears there as well. You see how different that is from the forgetful here. That's the, the idea that when we read the word, that we're looking into it, that we're curious, that we want to understand. And we read the word that way. Not only when we come on Sunday, although it certainly is that, That when we gather for worship each day, that we're consciously desiring to hear and understand the Word, to continue to learn. All of us continuing to learn, delighting to learn. And also when we study in our homes, and we open the word. It's not just, you know, let's hurry up. We got 
things to do. Well, sometimes we don't have as much time. Sometimes we do have a deadline and it's coming up and we don't have as much time to read the word. But that idea that when we read the word, this is a time that we want to talk about, think about what we're reading. Also when we're reading it on our own. And when we, we talk about it in catechism, that we look into it. And sometimes we have questions. And it's good to ask questions. And in catechism, when you children ask and you young people ask questions, that's good. When you're desiring to understand and to learn, you can bring up some excellent, some excellent questions can come up, even from the ones that are very young. And they're beneficial for the whole class. The minister or the elder, whichever elder is teaching, if an elder is teaching that day, it's a benefit for all of us. That we together look at the word together. And we're to look at that word and see what it teaches us about ourselves, about what we are like by nature. It also speaks to us about our deliverance in Christ. So we look at the word from that point of view, what it teaches us about what we are like by nature. We don't just turn away quickly and forget about it. See that idea of a mirror seeing what you're like. We don't just quickly turn away and forget about it, but we, we look at what God teaches us about what we are like by nature. I need to know how great my sins and miseries are. I need to know what I'm like by nature. And God keeps telling us. But then he also talks to us about our deliverance. And we keep looking there for the instruction about Christ. We know every passage is about him. Sometimes that's easier to see than other times. What is this? Sometimes you wonder. What does this mean? We just begin to understand we do grow. But we have so much to learn. And we keep studying what it teaches us about Christ. We keep looking to him for wisdom. You know, in the very chapter we read, he who lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. And the idea of that is, if any of you lack wisdom, and you do, you do, I do, then let him keep coming to God. Keep, keep coming to God. He gives. Ask as those that, that genuinely want the wisdom. See your need of it. Who humbly come before God and say, teach me. And strengthen me to, to do whatever I'm told to do. Give me the strength to do it. The wisdom to know what to do and the strength to do it. We look to God for both. Continuing to look at his word for the guidance that we need.
It teaches us how. It teaches us how to express our thankfulness. How do I express my thankfulness? Well, God teaches us how. To express our thankfulness to God for our deliverance. And as we behold Christ in his word, the Spirit does something in us. There's another passage that perhaps has already come to your mind in the end of 2 Corinthians 3 that is similar to this in that it talks about looking what we look at and it talks about freedom. It's the last two verses of 2 Corinthians 3. It says, now the Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty, there's freedom. But we all with open face, not veiled is the idea, when it's open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord. Notice it has that idea of a glass too. Beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord. It says, we all, as, as we're beholding, as in a glass, the glory of the Lord, are changed. The Spirit does something in us. Are changed into the same image. From glory to glory, we see the glory of God. And the Spirit works in us. Changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. That's amazing. The Spirit's work in us that we request, too. And it brings out, looking at it now from the viewpoint of us beholding the glory of Christ, the danger of us constantly looking at the world. The contrast? And this is the danger. It's a very real danger for the young people and also for older. That we constantly look at the world. That we constantly look at the ungodly and the things that they're doing. We're to behold the glory of Christ. In the future, it'll be face to face. Now we're beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord and are changed. And ongoing, God works in us. Yet it's still the case in this life that even the holiest among us has got a small obedience. That will still be true in this life. It will be. But God does work in us and strengthen us. And this passage brings us the importance of constantly looking into the word. And God says, going back to the text now, whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, the idea that this continues, it doesn't stop. It isn't that, he, that one does this for a while and says, I used to. 
but one who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues, being not a forgetful hearer, but a, a doer of the work, this man, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Blessed in his deed. It doesn't say blessed because of his deed. It doesn't say blessed on the basis of his deed. It says he's blessed in his deed. It's particular. We repeatedly point that out. Many people say that God blesses all human beings, and you do find passage after passage that speaks of the one who's blessed, and it's so obvious that it's particular. This man is. Not the one that blatantly continues on in the ways of sin and doesn't sincerely repent. This man is. He's blessed in his deed. The, the doing itself is a gift of God. He works in us to will and to do. And, and you, we, you all know that. We all know that. That's a phrase we talk about a lot to bring out that, yes, we are to do the works that God calls us to do. Even the best ones are defiled, but we're to strive to, to do them. And it's God that works in us to will and to do. It's a gift. And while one is doing it, they're happy. They do it with joy and delight. And this was brought out when we talk about conversion. What's the two parts of conversion? Well, one talks about the sorrow for sin and hating and fleeing from it. And then it talks about a joy in, uh, a joy in our heart in Jesus Christ. We have a joy in our heart and with love and delight we live according to the will of God. Those are the ones that are happy. The idea that we're blessed means that we have happiness where our spiritual foes would, teach, would deceive us into thinking that if we turn away from God and from what God tells us, we'll then be free and then we'll be happy. We're actually the ones that reject the word are in bondage and they're not happy at all. The one who hears the word and is a doer of the word. He's blessed in his he's blessed in his in his deed. He's happy. He's content. We say our comfort is that we're not our own. We don't say, I want to be on my own and do my own thing. We say, the, my only comfort in life and in death is that I'm not my own, that I belong to Christ who's redeemed me and he works in me and makes me sincerely willing and ready henceforth to live unto him as those that are thankful 
for the salvation that we have in Christ. What a comfort we have. May we with joy walk with our God, walk in liberty. We sing of that in Psalm 119, 45, that we will walk in liberty. And may we walk together and help one another together as friends. As friends we are. We're friends forever. Young and old, parents, children, we're friends. Nothing can separate us from our God. And we're thankful to God that we're members of this, the body of Christ, together having our Lord direct us. Thankful for the confession that we heard tonight. May we together, with our mouth, confess the truth we believe. And may we, in our walk, show our thankfulness to our God and live to the honor of the name of our Redeemer. Amen. Let us pray. O oh Lord, our God, our Father in heaven, we are thankful, O oh Lord, for thy grace. We are thankful for the mercy thou dost show to us. We are such sinners, and we're thankful thou dost show us that. And we are thankful thou dost show us Christ, who has redeemed us, who has fulfilled the law, who is an example for us, and who works in us both to will and to do. Thou art the one that doth give us happiness. Our joy, O oh God, comes from thee. And we are thankful. May we joyfully, may our children joyfully labor in thy service, continuing to look into thy word, the perfect law of liberty. And may thy name, O oh Lord, be praised. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.